0: It is good to be with you in worship today, and we have already worshiped. Uh, The name Josh Whedon is legendary among science fiction fans. He's the writer and director of uh, movies like The Avengers and creator of the very popular TV show uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer from some years back. Uh, He has spent his career writing scripts for Hollywood. Uh, You might not guess it from his success in the Hollywood business but uh, Joss Whedon spent a lot of his childhood being mugged on the streets of New York. He grew up in an apartment in Manhattan with parents who were distant and rather uninvolved and he would say that whenever he would go out from his apartment uh, he would inevitably be held up for his money. Once at the age of 13 he was beat up, as Joss Whedon recalls quote, I was going to a newsstand on Broadway where I got my comic books. I saw these guys. There were like five of them, and I thought, those guys are going to mug me. I started walking, then I just bolted. I got to the store, and it's closed, so I duck under them with a certain degree of athletic precision and run the other way. But they catch up with me, grab me by the hair, throw me to the ground, and start kicking me. And this is the part I remember. We were on Broadway during rush hour. It was filled with people. They parted like a sea and walked around us. That's an impression that doesn't go away. Well, today there is a concerted effort and awareness about bullying In october is bullying prevention awareness month according to stopbullying.gov the efforts of bullying prevention awareness uh, include media coverage youth engagement events a conversation starter mobile app Uh, There are some made-for-TV movie specials on Disney and Nickelodeon, um, and schools will dedicate certain days of of the week during this month to bullying awareness. I don't know if it's true of y'all, but uh, certain days you're supposed to to wear orange uh, about bullying awareness. Um, But studies show that one in four youth are victim of bullying. And it's most prevalent in middle school, but even 19% of high school kids report being bullied at some point. Well, today there is a new awareness about this, a new attention given to the problem of bullying. But, you know, bullying is not a new thing in itself. A generation ago, we might have called it peer pressure. And before that, maybe it was just part of the initiation into manhood or the rite of passage into womanhood. But you know what encourages me most is that there is an effort to take ownership and responsibility for the problem of, of bullying communities and schools like we mentioned are acknowledging the problem calling it what it is looking for solutions um, you know again a generation ago we might have just shrugged our shoulders and said well boys will be boys or that's just beca- part of becoming a man or some people are just mean and nasty and you should avoid them But now as citizens and adults, uh, we're saying, no, this is not right. We're not going to let some kids get pushed around and intimidate and and intimidated. That's just not the kind of society that we want. Well, our story for today from the Bible uh, comes from the life of King David at a real moment of crisis. David, who appears in this story as an old man. We typically think of David as a young man. Most of the stories involve him being a young man. But in this story, he's an old man. And he's been forced to flee Jerusalem in an escape uh, from his own son, Absalom, and the rebels who are entering the city to overthrow him. David and his entourage make a break from Jerusalem to the Jordan River. They're trying to cross into the land of Gilead. And as they're going... They encounter a man named Shimei, a bully to beat all bullies. So we're going to see what happens. So I've got the uh, Bible passage up here. You can pull it up, and I think there may be two slides with the Bible story, so I just have to follow along here. I'll read it to you, uh, starting here in verse 5 of 2 Samuel 16. When King David came to Barim, a man of the family of the house of Saul came out, whose name was Shimei, son of Jerah came out cursing. He threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. Now all the people and all the warriors were on his right and on his left. Shemai shouted while he cursed, Out! Out! Murderer! Scoundrel! The Lord has avenged on all of you the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, disaster has overtaken you, If you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, son of Zeruiah, if he is cursing because the Lord said to him, Curse David? Who then shall say, Why have you done so? David said to Abishai and to all his servants, My own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on my distress and the Lord will repay me with good for this cursing of me today. So David and his men went on the road, while Shammai went along the hillside opposite him and cursed him as he went, throwing stones and flinging dust at him. The king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. And there he refreshed himself. It's an intense story. Shammai, as it turns out, has every reason to hate David. He is from the clan of Saul, whom David has replaced as king. If you remember, there was a lot of friction between Saul and David. And ultimately, Saul replaced, or David replaces Saul as king. But all that had happened 30 years ago now. David has been king for a long time. But Shammai's hatreds and vehemence comes from a very old hurt. A very long-nursed Grief. So Shammai heaps insults upon David and throws rocks and dust upon him, cursing and provoking. This guy just will not give up. He just will not go away. And I guess what I wonder this morning as we read this story, who do you identify with in this story, I wonder? Do you identify with David? Have you been unjustly picked on? Have you been intimidated, uh, or coerced, bullied? David is the one who's been wronged in this story. He is the victim here. But I also wonder, maybe some of you might identify with Abishai, uh, the soldier, the protector of David. He was sworn to protect David with his life. He burns with justice. Da- King David, let me go off and take the head off of this dog you know Um, maybe that's you. you you see your friends in those situations or maybe even a family member in just a nasty situation at work or at school or you know and you just want to defend them you just want to protect them you just want to go and take somebody's head off for them maybe you identify with just the other people who are traveling with David here The people who are just walking along, watching all of this unfold, not saying anything, not doing anything, you feel bad about it, maybe you feel sorry for David, maybe you feel ashamed of yourself for not speaking up, hoping that someone else might do something, maybe even turn to the person you're walking with and say, why didn't somebody do something, (laughs) Assuming that you know, they, they should do something. They who, right? through somebody? Um, well, it's none of my business, is it? Maybe, maybe you feel that conflict there. It's none of my business. I should stay out of this. Maybe like uh, that scene there of Josh Whedon. Maybe, maybe you are part of the crowd just sort of uh, walking around all of this. I don't know. That's not my business. I'm not going to get involved. You know, I could see myself in almost all of these places. Um, I wonder, though... Um, what about the bully? Have you ever thought to identify with Shemai? No one ever likes to think of themselves as a bully. You know, I would never want to call myself a bully, but I just wonder, you know, have I been one? Have you ever been the Shemai? Bullying is not something that just happens in middle school, of course. It's not only just physical, it can be emotional, can be verbal. Uh, Have you ever used your power or your position or your wealth or your business-like aggressiveness to get your way, to push people around? Amongst adults, maybe wouldn't call it bullying. Maybe it would be just putting someone in their place, we might call it, or being a backseat driver or micromanaging. But it's whenever we use our force to influence another person, to get them to do something, to intimidate them. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. Uh, Who do you identify with? And maybe at times you've identified, you could identify with all of these characters. With David, the victim. With Abishai, the, the defender. With the bystanders just watching. With Shammai, the bully. How should we respond, though, to aggression, to ugliness, to bullying? How should we respond? And then what should we teach our children about it? You know, here's our dilemma. On the one hand, we would want to say to our kids and maybe even to ourselves, you should just walk away. You should just ignore it. Don't stoop to that level. On the other hand, we might want to say, don't let yourself be pushed around. You know, stand up for yourself. Don't ignore it. And maybe at times you've given your kids both advice. Maybe you all have heard both pieces of advice. Maybe you've given yourself both pieces of advice. And, and it comes from a good place. We want our kids to be safe. We, we also want them to be independent. Um, we don't want to get picked on, but uh, we also don't want to get involved in something that we don't need to be involved. I guess if we were honest though, we like the story of David and Goliath, a lot better than the story of David and Shammai. Most of us have heard the story of David and Goliath, the little middle schooler David who goes out and defeats the big bad bully Goliath with just a handful of rocks. But I'm guessing not many of us have even heard the story of David and Shammai. Who endures this aggressive, over-the-top, long-winded, bullying rant. Um, I think it's interesting that both stories are in the Bible. Um, Can we pick one over the other? Well, they're both there as responses. Um, I think here's where our kids and our grandkids, and our friends, and our family, and even our very selves, you know, we need the most help. Um, What difference does it make to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What difference does that make when we deal with bullies, with our enemies? It seems like it should make a lot of difference. Um, And I think it is appropriate sometimes to ask, what what would Jesus do? What would Jesus have me do? Again, I don't know that there's a single response uh, to a bully. Every situation, of course, is different. Um, And you might still tell your kids to speak up in some situations and walk away in others. But I would hope that we would always think, okay, in what way can I witness to Jesus Christ in this situation? In what sense can my action be a reflection of the good news, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of peace? Uh, we don't want to be weak-willed or be a doormat and get walked on all over? Um, of course not. But there is a place to, to stand up for Jesus. And for a different way of handling our conflicts and a different way of handling uh, the enemy, the bully out there. I think of Malala Yousafzai, uh, the Pakistani advocate for women's rights and access to education. Some of you may have read that little book, the I Am Malala story. At uh, 16 years old, was nominated for the uh, 2013 Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, she had been an outspoken critic of the Taliban's tactics in her native Swat Valley from a very young age and so Malala and her family was the subject of an assassination attempt at the hands of a Taliban gunman because her father ran a school uh, that educated young girls and because she had spoken out about the, the topic at just 14 years old a, a talib fighter boarded her bus, pointed a pistol at her head, and pulled the trigger. She survived, made a full recovery in England, and became a transformative voice uh, for education and for women's rights and human rights. And in a key moment of an interview with Jon Stewart, the week that she had been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, Jon Stewart asked Malala, how she reacted when she learned that uh, the Taliban wanted her dead. Her answer is pretty remarkable. She said, quote, I just started thinking about that. And I used to think that the Taliban would come and he would just kill me. But then I said, if he comes, what would you do, Malala? And then I would reply to myself, Malala. Just take a shoe and hit him. But then I said, if you hit a Talib with your shoe, then there would be no difference between you and the Talib. You must not treat others with cruelty and with harshness. You must fight others, but through peace and through dialogue and through education. Then I said, I will tell him how important education is and that I even want education for your children as well. And I will tell him, that's what I want to tell you. Now do what you want. But someone will object. Um, We can't tell our kids that. Um, My kids can't be expected to do that. These are our babies. We have to shield them. We have to bubble wrap them and make them safe from the world and from all conflict. But look, you can't shield your kids from the world. The good, the bad, and the ugly of the world. And even if we do, who knows if your kids will be any better off if they had been shielded that whole time. We might be doing them more harm than good. There's no proof that kids who have been pampered their whole life and protected and uh, have avoided conflict their whole life turn out any wiser, better, more generous than kids who have grown up in a rough environment. Um, this might be the most important conversation we can have with our kids and, and maybe with, with each other. That once. A child or an adult enters the waters of baptism. Once a person has said yes to Jesus, I want to be a follower of Christ. Then we expect them to start acting like a disciple of Christ. And there's not one Christianity for grown-ups and another Christianity for kids. There's not one form of discipleship for Adults and another form of discipleship for other people? There's only one Lord. There's only one baptism. There's only one gospel. Once a person has declared him or herself for Christ, then we have submitted ourselves to Christ. We answer to Christ. We witness for Christ. Christ. And so again, we have to ask ourselves, what should I do as a disciple? I know what I want to do. I want to take off my shoe and hit the bully upside the head, (laughs) like Malala said. But then I would be no different from the bully. And haven't I committed to being different than the bully by taking on the name of Jesus? We've got to find a way to armor ourselves, not with the weapons of the world, but with the weapons of our salvation, as Ephesians 6 say, to train for the gospel of peace, to shod our feet in righteousness, um, so that we might withstand the, the slings and arrows of the evil one. And that we might do something different. That's the challenge. It's not going to be easy. Because it's going to force us to do something against our natural inclination. Which is either fight or flight. Uh, We either want to run away or we want to fight somebody. And Jesus says, I'm not going to allow you to do either one of those. I want you to do something different. Something transformative, something unexpected, and something ultimately redemptive. I have to tell you that I come from a long line of bullies. I'm an inheritor of bullies. Now, given my physical size, no one probably has ever felt threatened by my presence. But bullying can happen in more ways than one. My dad bullied us kids, especially my brothers and myself, uh, with things like, you know, don't be a wuss, don't be a wimp. You know, if we scraped an elbow or banged our finger in the door, uh, you know, he would say, you know, be a man. Don't cry, don't be a sissy, don't be a girl. But the catch was, you know, you could never really be man enough. You could never be strong enough. You'd always be some reason you were still a wimp. I don't want you to get the idea that my dad didn't love us. I never doubted my dad's love um, for us. But I think he bullied us because he had been bullied as a kid by his dad, my grandfather. And my granddad bullied because that's how he was raised. There was a trend here, I think. My granddad's dad, that is my great-grandfather... Had actually committed suicide while my granddad was still pretty young. This was the 1930s depression era. He was down on his luck uh, and things had become too difficult to cope with. So my granddad was raised by his brothers in a very rough and tumble sort of way. For him it was the school of hard knocks. You were n- not allowed to show weakness of any kind. So granddad treated his son the way that he had been treated. And in turn, my dad treated us the way he had been treated. I remember when my granddad died, we all gathered at uh, the lake place, his home on Lake Travis outside of Austin, Texas. And granddad had a croquet court in the uh, backyard, a game that he loved to play. And we grew up playing croquet in the summer. Croquet is a game played with a very, very heavy, solid balls. And you have a wooden mallet that you hit them with. And you try to hit them through little wickets around the field, just rectangular field. It's a really fun game. You should try sometime if you haven't. But now if you hit your ball into another player's ball... You have the option to do something strategic, but a little mean. Uh, you can take your mallet and kind of using your ball as, as a wedge placeholder. You can knock the other player's ball off into outer space. As kids, we usually didn't do that because it's just kind of mean. Um, but we were all playing croquet that day after the memorial service. My brothers, and my sister and my dad, and he knocked his ball into mine and You know, of course, he took the opportunity to knock my ball way off, uh, far away. And then he knocked his ball into my brother David's ball. And again, he knocked it far off. I didn't say anything because I was old enough to know that's kind of how the game was played. But my sister and my brother began to complain that he was not playing nice. And my dad, you know, his emotion from the day and everything that happened just sort of welling up inside of him, threw down his mallet and stormed off and said, that's how dad would have played it. That's how dad would have played it. My dad could imagine no alternative way to play the game. I think sometimes we bully because we can think of no other way to respond. Maybe we bully because we've been bullied. Or we cannot see any way out of either fight or flight. Maybe we bully because we're scared. Um, I think the divine imagination of Jesus Christ would have us look for some other way. There's got to be some other way. And if we haven't found it yet it's probably because we haven't looked for it yet and we haven't looked for it yet because we haven't gone to the one who already knows the answer our lord and savior jesus christ there's a beautiful there's a beautiful ending I think to all of this but it hasn't yet been imagined and it's up to us to do it Lord into your hands we do commit our spirit and we realize that uh, there's been times in life when we have been the victim of bullying of aggression of intimidation Lord, we also realize there are times in life where we have been the defender. Maybe we've been, been, been the advocate. We've stepped up and said no. We also are embarrassed to admit there's times when we've been the bystander. We've just looked on. We didn't know what to do. We just tried to mind our own business. And we're even more embarrassed, Lord, to admit that Yeah, sometimes we, we have been the bully. We have uh, used... Our power, our position, our force to get our way, to walk over people, that we've not turned the cheek. And for that, Lord, we we can only say we are sorry. We ask now from our hearts for forgiveness. And we pray, Lord, that when we know better, we will do better. We also realize that knowing it is not enough. That we need your help. We need your presence in our lives. We need your guiding hand on our heart. That you would steer this ship in the right direction. So that through our actions, people might know that there is a Savior, there is a Redeemer, there is a better way. God, now I pray as we turn our attention to some reflection here that you will help us to look deep that we can find ways to make amends with ourselves, with our past and with those around us. It's in Christ's powerful and wonderful name that we pray. Amen.